Welcome to PR for Humans, the podcast for interesting communicators and people who are interested in communications. Each week I'm talking to someone about a different aspect of the craft and using their insights in PR for Humans, the book I'm currently writing. You can find out more on my website, sergeantleaders.com. You spell sergeant just like the police and the army do. This week I'm excited to be here in Russell Square with Richard Skinner. Hello Richard. Um, you're a writer who works across fiction, non-fiction and poetry. You've published novels and poetry. And you're also the director of the fiction programme at the Faber Academy with its uh, celebrated six-month writing a novel course. And you also run the Vanguard readings where authors come and read their work. And I've attended those evenings and very good they are too. Richard, thanks for, for being here with me. Thank you. And you do a lot of different types of writing across different different genres and styles so what are you up to at the moment what's your focus um well i'm just um currently uh, supporting a new book of poems um going on tour around the country doing readings for that over the next six months or so and then uh, on august the second uh, faber are publishing um a non-fiction book of mine called writing a novel which is it's not a textbook for the course but it's it's sort of a companion um, sort of covers much of the same ground as, as I do in my classes at Faber Academy. And it's sometimes said that everyone's got a novel in them or maybe dreams of writing a novel one day. Is that, is that true? And could anyone, anyone write a novel? I think, I think more people can write a novel than, than think they can. Um, I don't think everyone can because not everyone has got that combination of talent and determination and perseverance and thick skin to take all of the knockbacks you know um, but if you I think creative writing is something that can be taught I think structure and storytelling good storytelling are things that can be not taught but maybe looked at and shown and examined and discussed and tried and experimented with and all of those things you know um, we can't put talent where there isn't any at Faber Academy, but we can certainly help writers who do have some kind of talent that maybe they don't know about realise it and, and as fully as possible in the six months that they have with us. Yeah, and this is a strange thing that I find in in the kind of communication that I'm involved with, that we, we're all consumers of stories every single day of our lives, whether that's movies or, or adverts or novels or, 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 or however we receive them, and yet can we actually tell a story? Can we, can we deconstruct what a story is and in some way replicate it for an audience and that is not an easy thing to do no, no, I mean there's a really big difference between story and plot, uh, which is something that we talk about a lot in Faber's that, you know, everyone knows the story of Cinderella or Achilles or Hamlet um, and those characters and their stories are very familiar to us but there are a million different ways of plotting those stories um, and that's that's where a lot of the interest comes from. So not only do you have to know what it is you want to say when you write a novel, when you start writing a novel, but you have to work out how best to say it, you know, how, how best to order your story events into something that's more thrilling than, than, uh, than you thought originally and so on. And are there certain structures which we should look to, to that, that, that the best novels always follow, or is each novel different? I mean, I think every novel is different. You know, Henry James's Portrait of a Lady is obviously really, really different from an Elmore Leonard novel, you know. But I think 
the three-act structure is useful to look at. Um, three-act structure? Not yeah, the three middle act, and end? Or? Yes, sort of the three-act structure that, that most Hollywood movies um, use so that you get a big plot point at the end of Act 1 and end of Act 2 and everything rises to a, a climax and then, you know, a denouement and so on. But not all novels or, or stories have to follow that model and not at all. And I think what I would say, though, is that at the heart of every good novel there has to be some sense of conflict and some sense of change you know that, that the character the main character has undergone some kind of difficulty and difficult experience and, and has come out somehow changed by it you know maybe they're rich or maybe they're poor but they're wiser um, and, and that's what someone like Henry James still has in his novels even though they're very literary and very slow and very dense you know there is conflict in there between all of the characters as, as much as in a Tarantino movie or Elmore Leonard novel, you know. And do you see that in the world of, of non-fiction as well? I mean, when we look at the news, I mean, do, do, you, do you see the interesting stories that you connect with are the ones that involve a character who is somehow on the way up, on the way down, growing, learning, becoming yeah. something better or, or falling apart? Yeah, I mean, I think the Windrush story recently is, is a great example of, you know, a, a, a maximum amount of conflict between two sets of people, you know, and um, that's why I think it's, it's received so much coverage, especially from The Guardian, which is well known for being the one to uncover the story. You know, it's, it's just what the government wants to strip those people of is, is, is awful, you know, uh, and we are absolutely outraged and... and um, talking about it incessantly for the last week because that level of conflict is very high. Well, that's interesting. So, so and it's interesting you make a, an emotional and a, and a political point there. And one question I have is, to be a good writer, do you have to care about something? Do you have to get something that sort of fires you up on an emotional level that you really think is either burning injustice or something that just, you know, wakens your, your soul a little bit? Absolutely. I think that's, that's the sort of... The fundamental thing you have to feel if, if you want to write a novel is um, we do an exercise at Faber Academy in the first week, you know, just write down uh, 10 novels that have really touched you and, and moved you uh, the most in your life. And I get the students to do that and then talk about their list together in pairs. And I say, when you talk about your list, see if you can find any common themes in the books that you've chosen. And there always is you know, a common theme. It could be relationships between two people or it could be world affairs and, you know, historical novels and uh, world politics. And I, I then go on to say, you know, so this exercise shows you that that's, that's probably the thing you should be writing about, you know. If it's the thing that you, you like most in books that you read, then you should be writing about that because writers are just inside-out readers, you know. Uh, writing and reading are, are the two sides of the same coin. And do you have to write about things that you've experienced directly? Well, obviously not, because you might be writing historical fiction or, and everything is fiction, but do you have to have some kind of connection to to the subject matter, the material, have visited the place, have, have done your research, have uncovered something yourself, original? Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, I've written a, um, three historical novels and the main characters in all those three novels are very different, but I've sort of projected myself onto them, you know, when writing them. I've tried to inhabit them as much as possible. So 
um, you know, fiction is is um, is fiction. You, you you imagine things and make up things, but you have to inhabit your characters very deeply. I think in order to really connect with them. Uh, and if I think if you can connect with your characters in a really deep way, then the story can flow. Mm. And one thing I, I sometimes think about when I'm in in the non-fiction world, when I'm watching the news or listening to business leaders or politicians ask myself kind of where have all the characters gone you know is this just an impression that uh, politics public life was filled with great characters in the past and now it's filled with kind of bland robotic individuals and I mean you you study character all the time what's what's your sense um I would think one of the one of the reasons why Jeremy Corbyn has captured the imagination of so many young people in particular is because he's such an unlikely character in today's polit- political world. You know, he's, he's uh, old school, old style, old values. Um, but, there's, but he's a great character. You know, he's an interesting character. And in fiction, I think, I mean, what makes a great character? Who knows? I, I certainly don't know. I, I can't sit here and, and give you a guaranteed list of things that make a good character. But I think we all know when we read a great character in a, in a book. You know, I, I'd say... Madame Bovary is a, a great character. Holden Caulfield is a great character. Gatsby is a fantastic. There's, I think there's a sort of a charisma and a, something enigmatic about them, something unknowable. And flawed? Deeply flawed, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. The, the more flawed, the better, I think. Right. And, and so actually seeing the flaws is what draws us towards a character sometimes. I mean, sometimes we're looking of, for reflections of our own imperfections and anxieties. Exactly. And exactly. You know, Aristotle said, you know, that's the whole idea of catharsis is that there but for the grace of God go I you know we, we we purge ourselves of our guilty feelings through watching these characters destroy themselves on stage or on the page mm. and do we do we like sort of wallowing in the misery of others though or is it, or is it just a is it just a way of us feeling like we're not alone and we all kind of suffer in different ways yeah I think it's another point we make um, at Faber is I think the best kind of writing is, is about mess. It's about the mess that human beings make of their lives and other people's lives. You know, think of all the great characters. They're all, they all make a tremendous mess. You know, Anna Karenina, Gatsby, Adam Bovary. Um, and I think people are interested in reading about that mess because everyone's got something that is messy in their lives. You know, no one's perfect. And so uh, it's, it's interesting to read how these characters deal with, with their, themselves. Yeah, and when we see the world often as presented through the eyes of, um, say, big, big companies or people with big advertising and marketing budgets and, and public relations budgets, that they present a kind of perfect vision of the world or a perfect vision of the products, which is, I guess, a bit of a barrier. We, we want to see imperfection, don't we? Mm. We want to see flaws. We want to see the uncomfortable truth, mm. whatever that is. And that's... That's what just keeps drawing us back to fiction, I suppose, and away from the real world. <laughs> Fascinating. Um, the arc of a story mm. through a novel. Um, you mentioned that the character has to change and grow, but mm. it, it can't all be a, an easy journey for them no. throughout a book, and that they've got to face challenge, and that's the essence of, of good storytelling, is absolutely. overcoming obstacles, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't emphasise this enough, and, and it's something that I see... Um, new writers neglecting uh, an awful lot um, and it's something we work on at the academy a great deal is 
you know, I, I would say that, that there has to be, well, let's try and get to the point where there is conflict practically on every page, you know, of a novel. And, and you must put your characters under some kind of pressure, um, you know. The author is in a very interesting position because on the one hand, you want your characters to, to succeed, but on the other hand, you've got to stop them from succeeding you know you, you're in this very paradoxical situation as author but you have to throw obstacles in their way and and um, you know put them under pressure and give them difficult circumstances one of the things I always say to the students is if you want your character to get rich the first thing you do is rob them okay interesting interesting and 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 you you progress progress towards an end point which I think I, I you're quoted as saying it's it's got to be both surprising and inevitable. Is that, is that your line, or is that yeah, <laughs> yes, it's it's not actually mine. It's it's David Mamet's line, okay. the playwrights. Um, but it's sort of he's paraphrasing Aristotle. Um, okay. <laughs> I mean, I would you know for for your listeners, if, if there's one book I would I would say to go away and read about storytelling, and good storytelling is is Aristotle's Poetics, which is freely available online. Um, you know, so um, read that. But yeah, it's just the idea that when we when we come towards the end of a novel, um, we usually have an inkling of how it's going to end. Uh, and but the, it's the author's job to not make that ending so obvious to the reader. So you, you've, you've got a difficult game of hide and seek as an author. You've got to keep them enticed, but withhold information from them so that they keep on wanting to read. And so when we get to the end, we have an inkling, but, but the writer's done such a good job that even though we might have been right, we're still a bit surprised. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but then when we do get to the end, we think, well, of course that was how it was going to end. Yeah. You know, looking back on, on the story, if that was the only way it was ever going to end. So if I'd, if I'd read all the signs properly along the way, I would have guessed the ending. But that's, that's the beauty of the writer's job, is you have to hide that. Yes. Uh, on the subject of Aristotle, when I... When I approach speech writing and indeed media training sometimes we talk about the um, logos uh, pathos and ethos you know the the head the heart and the character the three sort of aspects of communication which is so true in anything when someone stands up on a on a platform you judge them by the logic of their argument whether they've got an emotional connection to it and also just who is this person and, <laughs> and uh, you know what's their character yeah and the character is is it's so important. I guess that, that all kind of ties together with, with writing a novel. It's got to yeah. hang together on a logical level, emotional level, and yeah. a character. Yeah. Well, Aristotle said that there is no such thing as character. There's only habitual action. So, so our character is, is, is the sum of, some of our actions, if it's anything? Or, yeah, absolutely. Right? You know, rather than what a character says, it's what they do that's important, that reveals them and, and who they are the most clearly, you know, the most obviously. And I, it took me a long time to, to work out what he meant by that. And, but I think it's absolutely true that, you know, uh, what a character, what a person does in life speaks volumes. Mm. It's interesting. I had um, Rupert Younger, who is um, uh, co-founded a PR agency called Finsbury, and he's, he's head of the Oxford Centre for Corporate Reputation. And he said that reputation for an individual or for a company is based on um, their actions, first of all, so what they actually do, the, the stories they tell about what they do, and who they tell them to, the channels they use to reach them. And it, mm. it's, it's, there's, there's so many similarities in, in, in what you're saying about, about mm. character and, and reputation. It's, mm. it's a fascinating area. Let's talk about the discipline of 
how to write. And I, and I sometimes, you know, I've found myself through my own writing, I've actually started to figure out what I think and what I believe in. And until you start writing, you don't kind of know. So I say this to others, you know, to a, a business leader or anyone I'm working with, um, start to write to clarify your thinking. But sometimes, sometimes people say, well, it's the starting that's the problem. I don't know how to start writing. Yeah. yeah. Any advice there? Any tips yeah, no, that's, that's, it's a terrible prospect, isn't it? You know, the, the blank screen. I mean, what, what I would say is um, I, I sort of trick my, myself, you know. I think if you, if, you, if you set yourself January the 1st, you know, at 9am to start writing your great novel, you know, that's never going to happen because there's just too much pressure on you to, 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 you know, to come up with the goods that day. So what I do is I just... I don't tell anyone I'm writing a novel. I just make notes and just think about it and, and write on pieces of paper and put pieces of paper in a big box. And after however long and however full the box is, you know, I'll, I'll tip it all out and have a sift through and, and see what I've got. And I've usually got, um, you know, the spine of a story, maybe just the spine, but something, you know, something there. I've got a, I've got a set of characters, a, um, a kind of a, an essential problem that one of the characters has, and, and then I've got enough to sort of be going on with. Um, and then once I'm, I'm sort of into the writing, then I, I, I'm kind of, I do lock myself away. Um, I'm lucky because I have the summers off, so I have July, August, and September largely free, so I'm able to lock myself away and, and get on but I mean I think if you're working like most people are in a job you just have to find a way you have to find an hour or two here there maybe weekends you know early mornings just to get your bum on a seat and sit down and just be there just keep you know. going and yeah just, just keep, you know. make yourself available yeah make sure you're just sitting at a laptop so that you can or you can just write on the hoof you know in, in trains and um, do, are you able to do that? Because do you need yeah. perfect peace and quiet? And I, I, I tend to. I think you can make notes and maybe bits of scenes, ideas. You can make notes on tablets and devices. No problem these days. They're very handy for that, you know. Um, but I think yeah, for actually sitting down and, and writing a first draft, I kind of need a lot of time in a, in a very quiet space. Um, yeah. What makes good writing? I mean, what, I, I, when I graduated from university, I was a pretty terrible writer. <laughs> I learned how to be a professional writer as a journalist. And I, I suppose my writing style now is, is efficient. I can get things across um, fairly clearly. But is that, that's obviously not the end, the end point for writing, and we can all get, get better as writers and get more interesting as writers. But... Do we have to just all find our own style, our own voice? And are there any are there any common themes about what you think makes good writing? Um, I think writing, good writing, is it comes from a very deep place inside you. I, I think it comes from the stomach. You know, I think you can you can be too much in love with an idea for a novel, or you can over overthink a novel. So good writing doesn't really come from the head or the heart. It, you, you have to really have a gut, good gut feeling about a story. Um, so the first thing I would say, if, if you wanted to write a novel, the first thing I would say is just wait. Think about it. Think it through. Does it really have the legs? Uh, what is it about that idea that attracts you so much? 
turn it over in your mind and, and really work out whether or not you want to commit to this for a couple of years of your life. And I think if, if the answers to all of those questions is, is yes, then I think you, you're off to a good start, you know, at least. Because I think you've got to care about what you're writing. I think it's got to bother you. It's got to, um, it's got to bother you so much that you've got to get it out, you know. And then as far as voice is concerned, I think it's just one of the most overused terms in, in literature, you know. Uh, I, I find it very patronising, you know, the older, well-established writers telling younger new writers, oh, you've just got to find your voice and then you'll be fine, <laughs> so you know. it doesn't really mean anything. Or... As though you've lost it or something, yeah. you know. I just think finding your voice just means that you have confidence in, mm. in yourself, taking yourself seriously as a writer, enjoying the work, um, you know, take, giving yourself permission to write and, uh, and with practice so you get better and better and finding your voice I think just means that you've achieved a certain level of storytelling and confidence in your writing. But what about the actual words on the page because I noticed like for you, from your book The, the Mirror um, you use very short sentences particularly at the beginning and um, indeed short lines it's all presented almost like not quite like verse, but you, you know what I mean. It's very, very efficiently written, and that, that was that your intention, or was that is that just a style that you found your way into? Um, I'd creating? say it was Oliver's, the main character mm-hmm. in in uh, the Mirror, the short novel called The Mirror. That was Oliver, me trying to find Oliver's voice, you know, and, and like I said before, trying to really occupy their consciousness. Um, I think that's a really good tip for trying to find you know or, or know your character as well is really try and imagine how they see the world and you know what what do they fear and and how would they react in any given situation and that was how Oliver's voice came out you know Matahari's voice is is a bit different in my novel The Red Dancer and Eric Satie's voice in The Velvet Gentleman is very different you know and and I in each of those three times I, I, it was really the characters you know how would they how would they sound if we could hear their thoughts so it's not necessarily always about using simpler words or shorter sentences no not really no I mean Oliva was very uneducated she's young she's uncertain about herself so I, I didn't give her very complicated language I didn't think she would think like that whereas Satie uses you know a lot of very eccentric language and lots of jokes and humour and and I thought, well, that's how he would sound if, if you had a drink with him or dinner with him. You know. Yeah. Um, Richard, thanks so much for this. It's been a great conversation. And, and just, just tell us if, if you want to connect with you or your work further or are interested in anything you're doing, what are the, what are the best ways of, of doing that? So I have uh, my own website, richardskinner.weebly.com. Um, there's the Faber Academy website. Just Google Faber Academy and uh, that'll come up. And there are uh, bios of all the tutors there. Um, there's the Facebook page for Vanguard uh, as well as mine uh, and also I'm on Twitter uh, which is Richard N. Skinner um, and I tweet a lot of links and information about readings and events and, and writing tips as well so jump on to, tw- to, to Twitter and, um, and I'm there a lot. And the overall state of the novel in 2018? It's fine there's some good stuff <laughs> some yes good stuff. the novel a is a lot of not, not so good stuff it, well as, as always yeah. there's lots of good stuff um, and bad stuff but it's not dead good to hear Richard thanks again thank you thank you very much